To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are a synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, good morning. My name's Scott. Uh, if you're uh, new with us this morning, uh, it's great to have you with us. Uh, I'd love to extend that invitation uh, to join us for lunch afterwards. There'll be plenty of food. Uh, it'll be a great opportunity, uh, yeah, just to meet you and for you to meet some of us as well, uh, if you're able. Well, uh, you'll find uh, that passage printed in your little uh, leaflet you've got, uh, so you need to keep that handy. We'll be referring to that. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Amen. Well, just a few months ago in June, uh, a famous DJ called Diplo. Anyone here heard of Diplo? Yeah, got a few. Yep. Warwick's into it. Uh, he turned up to a party that he was DJing at. He'd been booked. He's sort of a headline act. He was the main attraction uh, at Cairns on a yacht. Pretty, pretty swanky kind of do. Uh, and there's video footage that's gone all around the web of Diplo standing there talking to the security, saying, actually, you know, I'm the guy that's doing the show. You should let me in. Uh, but, of course, the security didn't believe him. Uh, they kept saying, no, you're not on our guest list. And other, other guests are standing there going, no, this, this is the guy. This is the guy that's supposed to be in here. And it wasn't until the owner of the yacht and the host of the party showed up uh, and now the somewhat red-faced security guards uh, had to let Diplo through. Well, as we come to Jesus' letter to the Church of Philadelphia in Turkey this morning, we find a church uh, who Jesus says has little strength, a church who's repeatedly been told they're not on the guest list, a church who have been told by the Jews in their city you are not part of God's people. You do not belong. You will not get in to God's kingdom. 
They'd been banned from the synagogues and the Jews thought that they were the ones who held the keys to God's kingdom. The Jews thought that they were the door and the way in to be part of God's people. See, the Jews were making it very clear to the church in Philadelphia that actually God did not love you. There is no place for you in God's kingdom. You will never enter God's place. See, the Jews were trying to slam the door shut in the face of the church of Philadelphia. Now, if you are inside that little handout, you'll see uh, if you open up that centre section, uh, you see there's a little bit of a table. We've been working through this term. Uh, There are seven little messages to the churches. They're a little bit like report cards that Jesus gives his churches. Uh, He talks about the good and the bad. Uh, And now you'll notice two of them have a little yellow uh, block at the beginning. There are just two of the churches where Jesus doesn't have any rebuke. There's nothing that he has to discipline. um, And Philadelphia is one of them. It's a church that Jesus doesn't have a problem with. But it's still a church that's in danger. See, they're in danger of listening to those lies and taunts of the Jews. They're in danger of doubting that God really loves them. In danger of doubting that actually all of their security and their assurance and their belonging to God's people is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so Jesus speaks comforting, gentle words to strengthen this church with little strength. Jesus says, don't worry about them. They don't have the keys. I'm the one with the keys. They can't slam the door in your face. Only I can open and close this door. Verse 7, have a look with me. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Point one, listen to the keeper of the key. Well, what what is this key, this key of David? It's kind of an unusual little phrase, isn't it? Uh, What what is the door that Jesus is talking about? What, What is Jesus talking about here? Well, the key of David is the key to the everlasting kingdom that God had promised David thousands of years earlier. God had promised David a kingdom that would last forever and a king who would be an everlasting king who would reign with righteousness and justice as God's chosen king. The key here is the key into God's kingdom, the kingdom that God had promised. And the door is the door into God's heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, the place where God's people will live with God as their king, 
where this king who came from David will reign and rule and his blessing will be everywhere in everything. And even deeper than that, if we have a look at verse 12, this door isn't just into the city. Actually, the door that Jesus is holding open, have a look there, is right into the heart of God's house, his temple. It's hard, I think, not to be reminded of Jesus' words in John chapter 10, where John, Jesus said, I am the gate, my sheep know me, and they enter in to life. Any who enter through me, Jesus said, will be saved. See, Jesus, who proved that he is the holy and true one back on Easter Sunday when he rose from the dead, Jesus, who confirmed that he is the everlasting king from David's family when he rose up through the clouds and sat down at the right hand of God in heaven, Jesus, the one who loved and welcomed those with little strength and invited them into his kingdom. He is the one who holds the key of David. He is the one who is the gate to salvation. He is the one who holds open the door and says, anyone who believes in me, you are in, and no one will close this door in front of you. So he is the one who's speaking to his church who's in danger of doubting their salvation, who's in danger of doubting whether God really loves them. And to them and to us, Jesus says, it's okay. Don't listen to them. They claim to have keys to my kingdom. But actually, we see verse 9, the only access they have is to Satan's kingdom. It's a pretty harsh uh, little phrase there he uses. The Jews uh, who gathered in synagogues and who professed and claimed to be God's people, Jesus actually says, they have rejected me. They are actually part of the synagogue of the deceiver, Satan, my enemy. Don't listen to them, says Jesus. Listen to me. I've got the key. I've got the door open. No one can shut you out. And of course, he's not just speaking to Philadelphia, is he? As we've looked through these churches, uh, we've seen week after week after week, actually, these churches that Jesus has, has given these reports to are actually reports for us, for every Christian, every church in all of history and in all of the world. Jesus is speaking to every church and every believer who's in danger of doubting whether God really loves or accepts them. Now today, there are plenty of people who claim they have the keys to truth, aren't they? The Jews still say that we follow a false Messiah, a false Christ, and that we need to actually reject Jesus and become Jews to enter into God's kingdom. They, they still say the exact same thing as they were saying back then. Uh, just this week, uh, I know Craig uh, posted on our prayer network uh, to pray for a couple of Mormons who came to the door. The Mormons and, and the Jehovah's Witnesses who, who have some very different uh, teachings, uh, but yet both of them say, actually, our scripture is corrupt and we need to abandon 
our faith and we need to come and join their church. Within the church, within the kind of the banner of Christian, there are Christian, supposedly Christian false teachers who tell us that actually Jesus hasn't opened the door to us unless we can speak in tongues or we can do miracles or, or we have some kind of extra blessing and they, they make us doubt. Well, am I really in? Does God really love me? Have I really been accepted? There are others who claim to be Christian teachers and, and they, they teach that unless we stop sinning full stop, that actually our salvation is not genuine and we're not good enough. That somehow Jesus saves us by his grace and his gift but then we stay saved by being perfect by our works. And we hear that and we think, well, actually, I'm not perfect. I do sin. Why do I still struggle with sin? Why do I keep doing these things that I know God has told me not to do? Maybe, maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe I'm not in. Have you ever asked yourself those kinds of questions? Have you ever wondered, well, what if they're right? What if my faith isn't strong enough? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm missing something that I should have? What if God doesn't love me? What if God will turn me away when I finally stand before him? You ever ask those questions? I know I have. Well, Jesus gives us real comfort. Have a look at verse 8. He says to us, See, look, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge, what, is he acknowledge, what, are, what will they acknowledge? They'll acknowledge that I have loved you. Listen to the keeper of the key. Don't listen to the lies. He loves us. He has opened the door, even though we have little strength. Second, hold on to him who is holy and true. Now, Keely and I have a mate um, who's a bit of a tech guru, and way back uh, in 2009, when Bitcoin started, I don't know if you've heard of Bitcoin. Uh, it's this experimental form of digital currency. Uh, way back in 2009, he started uh, mining this Bitcoin. So he started gathering this Bitcoin. Uh, and back at the beginning, a lot of experts said, no, this stuff's not going to work, it's not going to fly, it's not going to go anywhere, uh, it won't take off. And it didn't for a while, so it, was, it started being worth nothing and it didn't really go anywhere. And... After a few years, he kind of just forget it, forgot about it. He left his computer sort of ticking away, just slowly picking up Bitcoin, you know, from wherever it picks it up from. And uh, after a while, somewhere along the line, he'd lost the special digital key that lets you actually access the Bitcoin. Uh, there's a special key that unless you have this key, no one can get into the Bitcoin. Now, this is a bit of a disaster because if, if, if you know anything about Bitcoin, you'll know that just last year, Bitcoin 
uh, from its start in 2009 of being worth $0, went to $69,000 per Bitcoin. And uh, he's got squillions worth of Bitcoin sitting on a computer that no one can open. And I know that he's kicked himself many, many times for having not held on to that key. Well, Jesus here in verse 11 tells us, don't make a mistake a squillion times bigger than my friend's mistake with his Bitcoin. What's the mistake? Verse 11, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. See, I think if my mate had known that soon his Bitcoin would be worth truckloads of money, I think he would have held on so that no one could take that away from him. But we have something infinitely more valuable. Jesus is opening the, opening the door to his entire kingdom. He's inviting us to have permanent, lasting, wonderful, eternal fellowship with him. What is it that we have that we are to hold on to? Well, we have Jesus' word. We have his promises. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Jesus, we have the way to God the Father, our creator, our maker, our sustainer. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. In Jesus, we have the promise of resurrection, of life that goes beyond this life. Life that will never be extinguished. Life where we won't know suffering and sickness and sadness and pain. Jesus promised, don't let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. He said he went there and prepared a place for us and he will come back and take us to be with him. These are the promises we need to hold on to. We need to hold on to Jesus' promises. We need to hold on to Jesus. See, the, the key that he holds is a key to the treasure far greater than anything on this earth. Letting, letting a bit of Bitcoin slip through your fingers, that's a pretty big loss. But it's nothing compared to the loss if we let Jesus slip through our fingers. See, we can't imagine, can we? We can't imagine how incredible his kingdom will be. We just can't fathom. We can't fathom a place that is a new creation without any of the bad. We can't fathom a place where there's no shame. There's no embarrassment, there's no pain, there's no sickness, there's no envy, there's no trying to get my own way. There's no, there's no fear. No problems, no sickness, no death. We can't imagine a place like that. We can't imagine what it will be like to stand before the living God and see him in all his glory. We can't imagine it. But on the other hand, we also can't imagine just how terrible it will be 
if we don't hold on to Jesus. We can't imagine how terrible the alternative to his kingdom is. See, if we listen to the lies and we abandon Jesus, we're actually allowing our crown of life, our crown of glory, our crown of righteousness to be taken away from us. But if we hold on, we keep trusting Jesus' promises, we keep holding on to Jesus, no one will ever take our crown. Maybe, uh, maybe you're feeling at the moment a little bit like Philadelphia. Maybe you feel like you've got very little strength. Maybe you feel like you don't have the strength to hold on to Jesus. Maybe you feel like your faith is too small or too weak. Maybe you feel like the pressures and, and the doubts and the fears and the, and the suffering you're going through is too much. But Jesus isn't talking to some ultra-strong ninja warriors or CrossFit champions here. He's talking to weaklings. He's talking to people with little strength. And he says, no matter how little your strength may seem or may be, you can hold on. Jesus says you can. Listen to the keeper of the key. Hold on to him who is holy and true. And lastly, look forward to your vindication. Uh, Keely and I have a friend uh, in Sydney who uh, a number of years ago was taken uh, to civil court and, and sued uh, on, on a, a trumped-up claim of defamation. Uh, the whole affair took a couple of years and uh, I remember watching this friend just having so much sapped out of them, so much life and energy and just the stress and the burden of it. Uh, and all along the way, just longing for the truth to come out, longing for justice, longing for vindication, for the courts to come out and say, actually, no, you were in the right. You've done nothing wrong here. Your name is cleared. And I remember the day, actually, that the courts found, uh, ruled in his favour, uh, when everything was overturned and, and actually not only was he found innocent, but the person who had taken him to court was actually, you know, they, all of the court costs and everything was put on them uh, and, and they actually got in trouble for the whole affair. And I remember uh, the first time I met him after this had happened, I you know, hadn't seen him since, since he'd been vindicated and I remember thinking I hadn't realised how much life he'd lost in that whole affair because suddenly he was just so full of the energy that I'd known previously and the joy and the relief of being vindicated. See, Jesus says here, actually we will be vindicated. Verse 9, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews though they are not but are liars... I'm going to make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. They will come and bow down at your feet and say, actually, we were wrong. We were lying. He does love you. 
That's pretty powerful, isn't it? It's pretty powerful. See, those Jews who claim that they are from God, it'll be revealed that they really are from Satan. Those Jews who claim to have a monopoly on truth will actually be shown to be liars. Now, we live in a world, don't we, a postmodern world that claims to have a monopoly on truth. Actually, it doesn't even claim that anymore. It just says truth doesn't even matter. Our postmodern world claims that we as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus, are on the wrong side of history. You know, we, we see it, don't we? This rhetoric in our world that actually in just a little while, history will show that all you Christians were wrong, you're on the wrong side, so why don't you just fall in line now? Why don't you get with the program, Christians? Come on. Yet this, this, this claim actually goes all the way back, right back to before the, the chief priests and the Pharisees put Jesus to death. Remember back when they were plotting to kill Jesus, the chief priests and the Pharisees said, look, we'll kill this guy and then his followers will disappear and the whole thing will be done. History will show that he was just a false messiah. But Jesus says to us, whatever the trend of this age, we will not be found on the wrong side of history. Jesus is coming soon. And every hater, every naysayer, everyone who claimed that we we're on the wrong side of history will bow and acknowledge that we are in the right. They will bow and acknowledge Jesus loved you. You really are God's chosen people. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? I think we need to stop and ask, well, if our biggest opponents, our biggest naysayers, our biggest haters are going to come and bow to us, why would we ever bow to them? Why would we ever bow to them? And yet we do, don't we? We often go soft on our doctrines so that we draw less condemnation for the people who say we're on the wrong side of history. We often shy away from identifying as, as full-on, sold-out disciples of Jesus. We don't want to look too serious as followers of Jesus. So we try and fit the mould of kind of that quiet, inoffensive Christian, don't we? We bow to their ideologies and their, their foolishness and that religion should be kept private and hidden and we should be ashamed of following Jesus. We bow. And yet why would we bow when we know one day they will come and bow and say actually we were wrong? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. But actually, if we keep reading, we see our vindication runs even deeper than that. Have a look at verse 12. The one who is victorious, I will make a, into a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write on them my new name. See, for the Jews, nothing so clearly 
displayed and symbolised their special position as God's chosen people than the temple. The temple, the Jews would point to the temple and go, you want to know where God's people? Look, there's the temple. Out of all the nations on earth, who did God choose to come and live with? It was us, the Jews. And when we think about the temple, we can kind of understand why they're a bit smug about it, can't we? That God had chosen them. And you know, on this earthly temple, no foreigner was even allowed to enter in the fence to the temple grounds. You were, we wouldn't have been even allowed, unless you're an ethnic Jew, we would not have been allowed to even set foot on the property, let alone enter the temple. But actually, that temple was only ever a crude little model of the real temple, the true heavenly temple where God dwells for all eternity. And the greatest vindication of all is when the tables completely turn. And it is not the Christians who are made up of Jews and Gentiles who will be shut out, but it's the Christians who are on the inn and, you know, not even just on the temple grounds, but right in the very heart of the temple, right in the centre of the holy place. God will bring his people in and never shut them out. It's a bit like that phrase, uh, it's, it's not that we literally will be stuck inside the temple and kind of fuse into a pillar and never be able to leave. Uh, it's a bit like that Aussie phrase that, you know, you just become part of the furniture. You know that phrase, you've been around for long, oh yeah, just part of the furniture around here. We will be so welcome and so familiar with the temple that it'll be like we are part of the furniture in the place where God is, where his holiness is completely manifest. Brothers and sisters, that's going to be an incredibly glorious day. How sweet is it going to be for that vindication? Long for that day. Let that day shape your life now. May it mean that you never bow to those who will bow to us. Though liars try and convince us that we have no place in God's kingdom, those who don't doubt Jesus and endure will be vindicated and spend eternity in God's presence. Listen to the keeper of the key, hold on to him who is holy and true, and look forward to vindication.